Before we get started this week, let me first ask a favor from you. I want you to go to balancingthechristianlife.com and check out the lecture series my friend Kenny Embry is hosting online July 28th, 29th, and 30th. You very likely notice I've been having more guests than normal this month. That is to introduce you to some of the speakers who are scheduled to appear on the program, including this week's guests. I'm moderating one of the Practical Christianity tracks, and I will be presenting a lesson on serving our children as well. If you go right now and enter the promo code MYPEOPLE, M-Y-P-E-O-P-L-E, you will get a $30 discount off the admission ticket. You'll be able to listen to three days' worth of content live and then go back and catch up on what you missed later. You'll be able to interact in real time with me and other moderators and presenters. I'm sure your time and money will be well spent. Again, that's balancingthechristianlife.com, promo code MYPEOPLE. And now, back to our regularly scheduled program. This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 173, Anger, Part 2. I am Hal Hammonds, and I am a citizen of heaven, and your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for coming back. This is the second half of my conversation with Reagan McClenney and Scott Taylor. Again, Reagan preaches for the Timberland Drive Church of Christ in Lufkin, Texas. Scott preaches for the West Mason Church of Christ in suburban Cincinnati. In the second part of our conversation, we explore why God chooses to squeeze out the grapes of his wrath as slowly as he does, instead of taking care of things quickly like we tell him to. The title of The Grapes of Wrath was taken from the lyrics to the Battle Hymn of the Republic an homage to the battle against the Confederacy generally, slavery in particular. Those lyrics were based on Revelation 14, verses 14 through 20, where we see angels reaping the wicked from the earth and casting them into God's winepress. Clearly, writers are enthralled with the idea of God coming to finish the battles that we started in his name. But as John Steinbeck's novel points out, God doesn't always show up on our timetable. We love the idea of a patient God when we are the ones being reaped, But how can we hold on to faith when his patience is with our enemies? The struggle for me always is motive. It's amazing. And this goes to Romans 12 as an example. When you talk about the vengeance piece, what's my purpose for wanting God to do something? Is it so I can rejoice in the fact that he has uh, responded, rejoice from the standpoint that they're going to lose their soul, whatever the case may be? Or do I have a reason not to have patience or to want and desire God to to respond in such a manner. I think that there's purpose to us wanting God to return and purpose, as Second Thessalonians 1 will talk about, that understanding what's going to happen to those who treat us poorly. But we spend a lot of time on that end of the stick rather than on our end and uh, limit God by our time rather than understanding what he's done. I, for me, it always comes back to God literally wants all men everywhere to be saved, even the one that is causing me issue, which is fascinating to me, that he's willing to show grace and mercy to them. And therefore, maybe I need to look at that a little bit differently myself and how I respond to those things and understand what God's purpose is in in those situations and desire to have that person being with him for eternity, just like uh, me. Yeah. what's What's the worst sin that someone can commit? It's the sin against me, right? Um, And we take those things so personally. Uh, And so we have to reorient ourselves in terms of what has God been long-suffering toward me about? I need to show that same kind of long-suffering toward others. I I need to have that same kind of attitude. Um, And if I don't, then I need to be careful because 
that's the true use of judge not that you be not judged, right? For with the measure you judge, it will be judged back to you. If I'm unforgiving, if I'm ungracious toward others, then why should I expect God to be gracious back to me? Uh, when he has forgiven me an unforgivable amount, right? That's the parable of the unforgiving servant. How can I, not that I haven't been truly wronged by someone else, but how can I not be willing to forgive someone else and then leave the judgment up to God? I found myself wondering about second coming signs in this context. And I remember, I have a few years on you guys. I remember growing up in the 70s and 80s. And and I wonder if maybe all of this Hal Lindsey apocalypse kind of talk that was totally dominating religious circles at the time, maybe bled over into the church more than I thought that it was. Because I heard a lot of Christians talking not necessarily about Daniel 7 and Matthew 24 and, and things of that nature, but rather in terms of moral depravity. You know, the, the world is so bad right now. The world is so wicked, so horrible. Surely the end of time is upon us. Surely God would not permit things to go on any further than this. This must be a sign of end times. And I remember thinking in the moment that that seems, I mean, there's a certain logic to that, obviously. But at the same time, there is not any real biblical precedent for that. I mean, I don't know exactly how many people would have gotten on the ark if the ark arrived today. I think it's more than eight. <laughs> I'd like to think anyway, it's more than eight. We like to think of our moral Hopefully status. Hopefully three right here, I would hope. Right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we got three right here. The idea, though, that things are as bad as they possibly could get. Well, in the first place, here we are 20 years later, and we realize we were wrong about that. <laughs> things can't actually get much, much worse than uh, we thought they could get. And God continues to tarry. And maybe we've learned the lesson. I don't know. But like you're saying before, it's it's – this is the patience of God being shown here. And that's a good thing. We always want uh, justice for others and mercy for me. We'd love God to just come and blow away all these horrible people when they're being horrible, but we'd sure like him to be patient and loving and, and kind when we're the ones being horrible. We don't have a morality meter that we can go to. And it's just as well that we don't. Because God's one who's going to handle these kind of things, and God knows better how to handle it. In our saner moments, I think we would acknowledge that, that we're just not equipped for that decision. So we need to quit trying to make it. I think yeah. the, the hardest part, it's my favorite subject. I always call it my favorite subject is me. So when you want to, when somebody's ah. asking me questions, it's about me. Oh, that's my favorite subject to talk about. And then we view it from America. Things in the last 20 years have gotten harder. Sure. When we compare it to what it was going on in the first century and the persecution, we are short-sighted to what they were dealing with. I, I always think of uh, Hebrews, the 12th chapter, after he talks about looking to Jesus, and then he says, you haven't even resisted to the point of shedding blood. What's, what's the matter with you? <laughs> I mean, kind of a feel. It's it's amazing to, to really understand what we've gone through. A lot of it, to my opinion, is uh, imagination persecution. We've, we've made up or what if kind of a thing that we're going to go through, rather than what's going on. And that's the danger so much for us and the things that we find ourselves in. I think of Jeremiah with this subject. Jeremiah was, you know, he, you're going to go and teach the truth. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be treated horribly. And then I think of Lamentations, the third chapter, when he's like, I'm in 
bitterness. This is bitter to me. But then he stops and remembers what God has done for him. And therefore he has hope. And I think a lot of times we're good at the first part. You know, we can look around and see all the things that are going on and then ask why God, why are you not stopping this? Rather than saying, let me look back and see God's loving kindness. Let me look and see what God has done for me where I am, including today, by the way, in our lives. You know, it's it's amazing how blessed we really are and how much we take for granted when if we would just look at it, we could still see God working. We see people that are doing so many good things in, in our congregations and the, and the fact that the, the word is being spread throughout the world today. It's it's such a powerful lesson that we can have. First John always is, is one of my favorite books in the, in the Bible, but it, it talks about how we get so caught up focusing on the darkness that's passing rather than the light. And I think that's so true. We get so caught up looking at the world and wanting it to be judged rather than looking at the light and understanding what God is doing and what he's done for us. And um, we, we just have anger. We just react so angrily rather than like a child of God should, I think. It's a matter of faith, isn't it? That God's timing is better than my timing. That God's understanding of not just my life, but all the lives around mine is better than my understanding of those things. And that he's working providentially to bring about the proper opportunities for everyone to know the truth and hear the truth and respond to the truth. Uh, Something that brings me great comfort is Luke chapter 18 and the persistent widow. Remember the unjust judge and she goes and she goes and she goes and he's like, well, lest by her continual coming, she weary me. Well, I'm going to avenge her, right? I'm going to make the right judgment. Uh, But then verses six through eight. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said, and shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them. So he's long suffering. He's bearing long with what they're going through. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Now, there's a great contrast there between bearing long and then speedily avenging. So what does that tell me? It says God promises, if it's for the best, then I'll avenge you speedily. So any delay is not in your best interest, or there is a better course of action than the one for which you have asked. Here's this judge that is not righteous, but God is righteous. He cares about us, as the judge didn't care about the widow. God cares about us. He will avenge us speedily if that's what's best for us. But then the last phrase, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Uh, Are we going to keep praying in faith that God's timing is better than my timing on these things? It's a matter of faith. Does God know better than I do? Is God a better judge than I am? Uh, I think, Scott, I think you said earlier, thank God I'm not the judge. Uh, Thank God all of us are not the judge. Uh, I wouldn't want that responsibility because Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be any good at it. God knows everything, and he's going to judge correctly. If I have faith in that, if I have faith that he will avenge his own elect speedily, if that's what's best for us, then I can let some of those other things go. Yeah, and I'm so glad you you included that last phrase there, because lots of times we cut it off. Will he find faith on the earth? This trial that you're going through, this injustice that you're seeing out there and God's reaction or non-reaction to it, this is not about that other guy. This is about you. This is about your faith or lack thereof. I think that's the the main point of this parable. Not that God is going to get around to doing the right thing at some point in time. The question is, am I going to be willing to wait for that? 
And if I wait my entire life, or if I wait until Jesus comes and I never see it, am I still going to be living in faith? Am I still going to be going to God, still going to the righteous judge, asking for help? That's what he wants out of us. It's far more important that I manifest that change in my own heart, drawing closer to God, than God works some kind of righteousness as I may define righteousness out there in the world. I think the other struggle a lot of times for us is, as, as I talked about earlier in Second Peter, the third chapter, verse nine, where it talks about him not being slow. He's long suffering that we're not long suffering. You know, we he wants all men or he wants all to come to repentance. We want everybody to come to repentance unless they've done something against us and they're on my list, you know, almost <laughs> perspective rather than um, like we've been talking about. I want mercy for me for to to show mercy, God to show mercy to me, and I can show it to the people that I want to show it to, you know. And that's unfortunately is the attitude that we have so often. I love Paul, Second uh, Corinthians, where he talks about this momentary light affliction. They're not momentary light afflictions unless you have an eternal perspective. Right. They are horrible afflictions <laughs> that he was going through. What people go through today unless you have an eternal perspective. And, and I think that's where the faith conversation comes up and really understanding what our focus needs to be looking at from the eternal perspective, rather than these little, as uh, Frank Walton at least told me one time, we focus so much on the dot of the line of eternity. We focus on our little life rather than seeing the big thing, the big picture as much as we can, but understanding that God's the one that is in control of those things and is able to work all those things out in his way. And, and, I am just a little piece, you know, I always use the example of band. I wasn't in band, but everybody wants to be the first chair of whatever instrument that people play. And sometimes we're not the first chair. We think that, uh, you know, like David or sometimes I think we're more like Saul a lot of times. Or, you know, there's just amazing how often we think that we should be treated better. And it's my it's up to me and how I'm um need to be judged and handle things from, from God's perspective rather than just letting him do what he does. It's a mercy and a grace that I don't understand fully, but I am so thankful for it. And I'm afraid sometimes I'm not willing to allow that to be given to other people as well as the problem. I'm kind of bringing that back full circle to us and our anger, that characteristic of long suffering. What is that? That's macrothumia, long to passion or anger. So he is long to anger, long suffering. And so it's kind of the opposite. We think about a short tempered person. Well, God is long tempered. He is long to anger. And we know that there are other passages, you know, Psalm 7, 11 comes to mind. God is a just judge. God is angry with the wicked every day. He has perfect righteous anger and that doesn't dull. And yet at the same time, he is long to punish those people. He is long to show his wrath because he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, like you brought up in, in Second Peter. So we should emulate that same sort of thing. I want to be like God. I want to be like Christ. That means I'm, I'm long-tempered, and maybe I can't be as long-tempered as God, but I can imitate him and strive to be. The Ananias and Sapphira stories of the Bible get the headlines. Those are what we remember. God coming in righteous anger and obliterating his enemies, bam. Sometimes even in our judgment, a little bit too hastily. Sometimes it seems like maybe God should dial it back a bit. But far more often, the rule, much more than the exception, is that God acts so slowly that God drags things out. God is determined to destroy the Amorites in Abraham's day or Abram's day. 
and he's going to give him 400 more years. Why? I don't know why, because it fits in his, in his wisdom somehow. It's his plan to do that. God acts so slowly by human standards so often. And when we read it in the Bible, it makes sense because we're separated from that because it's history now. It's other people. But when he doesn't come to my defense in the first five minutes, I think God's asleep at the switch. That's just not the way God tends to work. Sometimes he does work quickly, and that's fine in his wisdom. Usually not. And if I am basing my faith on whether he's going to come to my rescue as I may define rescue in a timely fashion, as I may define timely fashion, it's a failure of faith. Just like Reagan was saying, that's not trusting in God. Or like Jonah so often in the story, he he, he was so afraid that God was going to show or forgive them. That's the danger for us. We may not say it that way, but that's the way that we act so often rather than just understanding, God, as God would say, those are my people. I want them to be saved. I want them to repent. And even in those instances, Hal, that you talked about where we view it as God was quick to judge, usually there's a background there where we realize if we dig a little deeper, he wasn't like as quick to judge as we thought that he was. You know, uh, Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10 comes to mind. Oh, man, you just like fire came out. They mess up one time. Like he had just gone through all of these instructions. Like he had just gone through them and they had offered some proper sacrifices. Like they knew exactly what it was they were supposed to be doing. And God didn't just strike them down with no warning. They'd had tons of warning up before this point. And then we think about like Uzzah touching the ark. Well, like the ark had been in the possession of his grandfather for like 60 or 70 years by that point. There was a familiarity there that should not have been. There was a lack of fear of the Lord. And it wasn't until he actually touched the ark that God struck them down too. So even in those instances, God is much more long-suffering than what we give him credit for sometimes. I mean, just read the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and God's long-suffering toward their continual, continual complaining and rebelling. And it makes you grateful that that's the God you serve because it sounds kind of familiar sometimes. Think of James, the fourth chapter, where we can call it adulteresses with friendship with the world, hostility towards God. That's the Old Testament, you know, so much. There's a relationship he was desiring to have and his willingness to be long-suffering to them is just um, so awesome. That's the struggle. I mean, I think, as you said earlier, and it comes down to just our faith, making sure that our faith is what it needs to be and, and just trusting him as we need to, which is... Um, we tell our children, you know, to try to teach them to be trustworthy and, and to listen to us. And we're supposed to be that example. And so often we kind of forget that ourselves, that we just need to trust him. And he's going to do and take care of things the way that he desires and sees fit to do so. And that's, that's enough for me, or at least it should be. You've been listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Thank you for your support. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe through your favorite podcast platform and or on YouTube comments, corrections, and suggestions are always welcome. Please feel free to follow me through Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, or Instagram, or check out my webpage, www.halhammonds.com. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.